بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد so in our previous session we looked at hadith number 34 the hadith of Abi Sa'id al-Khudri radhiallahu ta'ala who said that he heard the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say whoever amongst you sees an amunkar an evil then let him change it with his hand and if he's unable to do so then with his tongue and if he's unable to do so then with his heart and that is the weakest of iman so this hadith it indicates the obligation of enjoining good and forbidding evil so does that now mean that if you see someone committing an evil out in public, out in the streets. <clears throat> you see somebody, for example, drinking khamar, drinking intoxicants. Can you now go and take him and apply a certain type of uh, 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 punishment upon him? Is that allowed? Ah. So then who is that for? For the one that has the authority, which can be either the ruler or those whom the ruler has deputized. Those that the ruler has given the authority to do so. Because the messenger clearly said, If he's not able to do that, if he's not able to change that evil with his hand, then let him do it with his tongue. Okay, so does that mean that all evils that, that occur, none of them, none of them can be changed except by the ruler and those under his authority. No. So, which other circumstances can a person change a munkar physically with his hand, even if he's not the ruler, Ridwan, Ammar? Removing a harmful object from the road, uh, that is uh, from the shu'ab of Iman, that's from the uh, affairs of Iman, from the branches of Iman. However, it is not something that is considered forbidding an evil. There is a munkah that is occurring, an evil that is occurring at the hands of a people. So then somebody changes that, even though he's not the ruler. Can it occur if he sees someone drinking out alcohol outside in the streets? No, he can't do that. Which situation can you, as a general Joe, change an evil with your hand, even though you're not the ruler? Uh, Musa. Uh, in your house. So, for example, Sheikh Anjam. One of your family members, they are... They are what, sorry? Trying to harm another family member, for example. They are making dhulm upon him, i'tida against him. So therefore, in that situation, you can physically stop that with your hand. Although that there is something that a person can also do in the streets. Someone's being harmed. Someone's being harmed in the streets, physically being attacked. You can go and uh, help the person in that regard. How about something that is... Uh, 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 something else, another example. 
Another example, yeah, something that you can do at home but you can't do out in the streets. If you have a child that is listening to music in your house and then you go and you turn off the music yourself physically with your hand. Okay, that is something that may require some type of authority, some type of uh, authority and power and ability outside in the streets. La yunkar al-munkar bi-munkar. A munkar can't be prohibited with another munkar. You can't go into a, a, uh, a, a place of music, whatever, whatever that, type, that place may be, and physically go and turn off the hi-fi system yourself. Right? Why? Because a greater harm is going to occur. If you go into a place like a bar, or for example, you turn off that music, uh, you know what they're going to do to you. A greater munkar is going to occur. Anyway. So therefore, la yunkar al-munkar bi munkarin. Munkar isn't prohibited with another munkar. Forbidding something with your tongue, how can you do that? Forbidding something with your tongue, how can you do that? Halif. Nasiha, advice. What type of forms can that advice be transmitted? In which mediums? Just with your tongue? Huh? Verbally, okay, that's one. Literally, verbally with your tongue. Somebody doesn't even prohibit. Write a letter, for example, the ulama, they say. When the ulama write letters correcting certain individuals, refuting certain individuals, writing books in refutation of certain individuals, those refutations are considered enjoining the good and forbidding the evil by way of their tongue. By way of their tongue. Tamam. And then the Messenger والسلام, said that if a person is not able to do that, then he does what? If he can't in, uh, forbid an evil or enjoin a good physically with your hand, you can't do it with your tongue, then what should you do? What do you have to do? Idris. Hate it in your heart. That is the weakest of Iman. Hate it in your heart. And that is the weakest of Iman. Hate it in your heart. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin explained. That it is hating for it to have occurred. And you wish that it doesn't occur. It ceases to occur. It stops occurring. Tamam. One other point related to this. Hating it in the heart. And that is the weakest of Iman. Does that now mean that if a person does not have the physical ability to forbid an evil with his hand and he's unable to forbid an evil even with his tongue, so now he resorts to the least of the, the lesser of the levels, the lowest of the levels, hating it in your heart. Does that now mean that you are sinning? If, again, if you hate something with your heart and you don't forbid an evil with your tongue, with your, with your hand, does that now mean that you are sinful? Huh? Yeah. yeah, no doubt you have to leave. But so now you didn't, essentially, you did not have the ability to forbid it with your tongue, uh, with your hand. And you did not have the ability. To forbid it with your tongue 
both though, hand and tongue. You have hated it in your heart, but the Messenger said, iman. That is the weakest of Iman. Ah, so you are uh, 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 sinful in that regard now, are you? How is it understood? It is. Huh? You're a believer, and it's. Well, this is the point that we're trying to get to. Yani some people they may get confused saying it's the weakest part of Iman. Also, you have lost something of Iman. As a result of that, your Iman has weakened, and therefore you, you have sinned. La. Ibn Rajab he explains. So if you know that somebody is smoking and you're still socializing with them, he smokes in front of you. He smokes in your company. Yeah, you mean you can't yeah, yeah. The the the, the, the um, relationship that should exist between the two of you should be that he has at least respect for you. Respect for you that he's not going to commit those type of there, there is some because he knows that you're a person of Diana, you're a person of Deen, you're a person of religion. He knows that I'm not, I'm not, I shouldn't be smoking in front of you, I shouldn't be smoking in front, in, in front of people in public. If someone's smoke, smoking in front of you in public, and in front of you, then you shouldn't have company with that person in that, in that circumstance. If someone's smoking in front of you, you shouldn't have company with him. Advise him, that's the company that you should have with him. So, for example, Ya Akhi. You know that I can't chill with you. I can't relax with you. I can't socialize with you. I can't, I can't go to the dinners with you. I can't go and travel with you. I can't walk and chill out and relax with you. Why? Because in front of me you're smoking. person does it in secret. He does it in behind everybody else's back. He smokes in secret. No, he doesn't do it in front of other people. But you are aware of it. Advise him, advise him. Have him in your company if he's not smoking in front of you. Have him in your company. Invite him to your house. Have dinner with him. There's no harm in that. You know that he sins, but he does it privately. You're aware of that. You're aware of that of the fact that he sins. Maybe you spotted him doing it or some khabar reached you. With that type of person, yes, have company with him from the barb of advising him. From the barb of, of advising him. Even the one that is committing the sins... Uh, uh, and he may smoke in front of you. Obviously, people situations differ. Person may have just embraced Islam. There is a specific uh, uh, piece of advice that is to be offered concerning specific situations. So this is just general. It's not, it's not regarding specific situations. But in general, you may have a circumstance where a person has just become Muslim or he's just started practicing Islam. So you can't make absolute hajar of him, boycott him and what have you. Every situation has to be looked, right? That type of person, even though he might be smoking in front of you, you might have to still invite him to your house, have dinner with him and what have you, but you set the rules down. A brother, when you come to the house, you can't be smoking inside of the house, yes? You can't be smoking on my property and what have you. So each situation differs. The general rule of thumb, if somebody you know uh, 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 is smoking and he smokes in your presence, in your company. He's no, he has no shyness and shame in committing that sin. Then you can't have musahaba with him. You can't have him uh, as your companion because that will result in him affecting you. That will definitely result in him affecting you. Tamam. Next. The next point is uh, concerning the ayah Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu alaykum anfusakum la yudurrukum man balla idha hatadaytum O you who have iman 
upon you is yourselves. You're responsible for yourselves. You will not be harmed by those who become misguided if you become guided. How do we understand this ayah? When the Prophet just told us clearly, if you see an evil, change it with your hand. If you can't change it with your tongue, if you can't change it with your heart, then that is the weakest of Iman. Ah, the point that I was trying to get to. Sorry, before we get, get to that. The point that I was trying to get to, what Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali rahimahullah ta'ala, this is why I prefer questions at the end. <coughs> Not because of any fault of anybody else, fault of myself, I get sidetracked quite easily. Huh? So Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali rahimahullah ta'ala, this point about hating it in your heart, and that is the weakest of Iman, Meaning in some in summary in uh, paraphrasing what he said, relative relative to the one that is enjoining the uh, evil with his tongue, with his hand relative to that, then yes, that person's iman is going to be weaker. Or bi'ibaratin ukhra with another form of expression. The iman that is required for you to enjoin good, forbid evil, physically with your hand, physically with your tongue, is definitely going to be stronger and greater than the iman that is required for you to enjoin the good and forbid the evil with your heart. So it does not mean that if you enjoin the good and forbid the evil just with your heart, that your iman is weak as a totality. That your iman is, def is weak and deficient and that you're, you're sinful as a totality. Because the only reason why you didn't enjoin the good and forbid the evil with your hand and your tongue was because you didn't have the ability. If you did have the ability, you would have done it. You would have forbidden the evil. You would have forbidden the evil with your tongue and with your hand. So therefore, relative to enjoining the good and relative to in, uh, 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 enjoining the good, uh, uh, and forbidding the evil with your tongue and your hand, joining the good with your heart is weaker. Why? Because it requires a stronger amount of iman to enjoin good and forbid, your e forbid the evil with your tongue and with your hands relative to iman. So this ayah, this ayah that we quoted earlier, that all you who believe, upon you is yourselves. You're responsible for yourselves. You won't be harmed by those who go astray as long as you're guided. So, how do we understand that ayah with the statements of the Messenger والسلام, that whoever amongst you sees an evil, then upon him is to change it with his hand if he has the ability. Which is the end of the hadith. How, how do we understand that? After the advice. But the, but Okay, but isn't Allah saying in the first part of the ayah, you're only responsible for yourself. So why do you have to go in and join the good and forbid the... Could you expand upon that? <coughs> yes. Uh, and they won't... And, and likewise... That that is part and parcel of what you're responsible for. Allah says, Alaikum anfusakum. Upon you is to be responsible for yourselves. That is part and parcel of you being responsible for yourself. Why? 
Because isn't it the case that the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, Enjoining the good and forbidding the evil, is it something that ya'nika? Is it something that concerns you or does it not concern you? It concerns you. Remember, as we covered before when we studied the hadith, that leaving what does not concern you isn't based upon your hawa. It's not based upon your desires. It's based upon the sharia. So salah does concern you. Siyam in Ramadan does concern you. And part and parcel of what concerns you is enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. Part and parcel of those things that are alaykum, that are a burden upon you, a responsibility upon you, is enjoining the good and forbidding, forbidding the evil. And then, that which the brother mentioned then applies. That after you have done that, after you have fulfilled the first part of the ayah, alaykum anfusakum, you're responsible for yourselves. If you see an evil, then you have to change it because it's a command upon you. It's your responsibility. After you've done that, then whoever becomes misguided, then you are not accountable for that. That's not going to harm you at all. Tamam. One point that we wanted to mention as well. One point that we wanted to mention connected to enjoying the good and forbidding the evil is why is it the case that a person enjoins the good and forbids the evil? Why is it the case that a person he puts himself in a situation where he may lose respect, people may end up not respecting him anymore, people may end up wanting to intend evil against him, as was the case with the Messenger alayhi salatu was as many of you will know, once you started to become mutadayyin, once you started to become religious, once you started to leave bid'ah and uh, uh, embark upon sunnah and tamasuk bi sunnah, what happened? Darar, harm came to you. Harm maybe from your loved ones, harm from your community, harm from, from those that were close to you. So harm comes to you. So why does a person then risk losing that respect risk all of that attack if it's the case uh, just for enjoying the good and forbidding the evil and you say something preventing further harm from happening yes sorry sorry but the point that uh, I'm trying to get at what's our intention what's our gharad our purpose, our goal, our objective behind enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. What are we wanting? And from this there are many narrations from the Salaf. Me, the, the reason why they wanted to enjoin good and forbid the evil because at the end of the day they loved Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What Allah wants, that is the thing that held the greatest amount of importance in their hearts. And so therefore, establishment of Tawheed, people praying, people fasting, was them establishing the worship of Allah. And they loved that. And thus you'd find some of the Salaf, they would say, words to the effect, that we would love to be sacrificed, physically sacrificed, physically sacrificed for that, 
uh, enjoining of good and forbidding of evil can occur. So that the, uh, 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 what Allah loves is established. Meaning we want good for those people. When we enjoin the good, when we forbid the evil, it is not for a gharad uh, nafsi. It is not for uh, a person fulfilling his own selfish desires. It's not for his own self-respect and what have you. Person enjoins good and forbids evil it's because I want good for other people. I want khair for other people. And in relation to this, we have several statements. We have several statements. Uh, we mentioned uh, two, or three, two or three statements from Imam Sufyan al-Thawri, Imam Ahmed, uh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud so the first statement of Sufyan is and inclusive of this is that a person has hikmah, he has wisdom when he enjoins good and he forbids evil. As we mentioned again and again, a person does not enjoin good and forbid the evil if it's going to cause a greater amount of harm. You see people that they are engaged in an evil deed, likewise they, commit, they also uh, 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 them engaging in that evil deed is preventing them from engaging in deeds that are worse than that and more evil than that. If you know, <coughs> if you know that by a people engaging in this evil deed, it's going to preoccupy them from engaging in an evil deed that is worse, killing, murder and so on and so forth, then in that situation you have to leave it. Let them do that. Because if you try to stop them from doing that, and they stop it, but then you know that they're going to go and commit mur murder and what have you, in that situation, a person, he should refrain. Point being, a person has to have hikmah, wisdom, when he enjoins good and forbids evil. So Sufyan al-Thawri, he said, لا يأمر بالمعروف وينهى عن المنكر إلا من كان فيه خصال ثلاث A person does not enjoin good and forbid evil, except the one that has three traits. Number one. Rafiqun bima ya'mur wa rafiqun bima yanha. He's gentle when he orders and he's gentle when he prohibits. Number two. Adlun bima amar, adlun bima yanha. He's fair and he's just. In what he orders, and he's fair, and he's just, in what he prohibits. Number three, the last one, number three. Alimun bima ya'mur, alimun bima yanha. He has knowledge of what he commands, and he has knowledge of what he prohibits. These are three khisar that Imam Sufyan al-Thawri he mentioned. Indicating that a person, he should have gentleness, he should have fairness, he should use wisdom. And it's not something that is based upon half-baked knowledge. No, you have basira, you have understanding, insight about the good that you're enjoying and the evil that you're forbidding. So those are three characteristics. Likewise, Imam Ahmad, he said, Al-Nas muhtajun ila mudara wa rifq al-amr bil-ma'roof. بلا غلظة. He said, 
people are in need of mudara. Yeah, yeah, and this Islamic diplomacy. When you are trying to advise someone, when you're trying to deal with somebody, have this mudara. Have this, for lack of better terms, Islamic diplomacy. Use wisdom how you're dealing with them. People are in need of mudara, this Islamic diplomacy. And gentleness in ordering with ma'roof, with goodness. Bila ghilzatin, without coarseness and harshness. Illa rajul, mu'lin bil fisq, fala hurmata lahu. Except for the person that is open and public with his evil. He's a fasiq, openly commits the evil in front of everybody. Fala hurmata lahu. Then there is no honor for him. And again, this differs from era to era, time to time, the land that you live in, the way that you treat a person who's committing major sins in a land of Tawheed, whether it's ulama, there's talabat al-ilm, in a jami'ah, in an Islamic university. The way that you deal with a fasiq in that environment is different to how you deal with a fasiq in England. You can't deal with a person the same way. So imagine you're in the Islamic University of Medina and you, you go into the masjid to pray salah and there you have a talib al in front of you and he's openly listening to music or he's smoking. The way that you deal with him is going to be different to how you see, how you deal with somebody listening to music and smoking out in public in uh, Bolton. I forgot I was going to say Burnley. Bolton. It's going to be different. So hikmah again. What indicates this? This next statement of Ibn Mas'ud. Kana ashabu, or rather Ibn, the companions of Ibn Mas'ud. Kana ashabu Ibn Mas'ud radhiallahu ta'ala anhu. Iza marru bi qawmin yarawna minhum ma yakrahun yakuluna mahlan rahimakumullah mahlan rahimakumullah. Abdullah Ibn Mas'ud radhiallahu ta'ala anhu. His companions, his students, whenever they would pass by a people that were doing something that wasn't good, that the companions of Ibn Mas'ud, the students of Ibn Mas'ud disliked, they were doing something of sin and something of wrong. When the students of Ibn Mas'ud would pass by such a people, what, do, what would they do? Would they do what those Juhal from London in... Uh, East London were doing Muslim patrol gangs putting stickers on lampposts saying this is a Muslim controlled area going up to Kuffar taking their cigarettes taking their khamar <laughs> if there was a man or a woman walking in public in East London they would go there and try to separate them yani <laughs> Kuffar uh, so uh, how, how, and, and this is what kuffar they were doing. Imagine what they would have done with Muslims. But now look, compare that. And this is in yani, Bilad al-Kuffar as well they were doing it. Eh? London. Compare that to the students of Ibn Mas'ud. They pass by people that are doing something of munkar. They say, Mahlan, rahimakumullah. Steady, steady, may Allah have mercy upon you. Go easy upon yourselves, may Allah have mercy upon you. Hakadha ikhwan. That is how a person enjoys good and forbids evil. Not like how these Khawarij and these Daesh and these type of people do. 
And the last statement of Imam Ahmad, last statement of Imam Ahmad, he said, Ya'mur bil rifqi wal khudu'i fa'in asma'uhu ma yakrah la yakhdab yakunu yuridu yantasir li nafsihi. Imam Ahmad, he said, a person, he enjoins good, he orders, commands with good, forbids evil, he orders with gentleness and humbleness. And if the people end up making him hear what he hates, what he dislikes, meaning if people end up swearing at you, if people end up mocking you, if people end up saying things to you that you don't like, the person doesn't become angry. You don't become angry. Because then, in that circumstance, you're only wanting he's only wanting uh, to defend him, him own self. He's only there for his, his own self-respect. His ego overwhelms him. His ego, his ego overtakes him. His ego becomes priority now. So a person, when he enjoins good and forbids evil, Imam Ahmad says, he should be soft, gentle, humble. And if people end up saying things to you that you don't like, then don't become angry. Because then, in reality, if you become angry just because they've swore at you, they've disres disrespected you, they've mocked you, your race, your background, they said go back to where you come from and so on and so forth, and you become angry at that, in reality, you're only there, you're showing that, you, that you're only there to defend yourself for your own self-respect. So the point being is that the, 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 the goal and the intent should be wanting good for others, wanting people to be guided, wanting the worship of Allah Jalla to be established upon the earth. That is the gharad, that is the purpose behind enjoining good and forbidding the evil. Imam, those were uh, certain points, important points that needed to be mentioned. <coughs> For some reason, I thought it would, only t it would only take 10 minutes and that would complete the next hadith, Qadr Allah. Um, we'll just mention the summary of the benefits and then inshallah, hadith number 35 we'll do next week. The summary of the benefits are three. Number one, wujub al-amr bil-ma'ruf wa nahi an al-munkar wa anna bihi salah al-ibad wal-bilad the obligation of enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. And that by way of that, rectification of people and rectification of the lands is brought about. The lands, the countries is brought, brought about. Number two. Number two. Changing of a munkar has levels. Changing of an evil has levels to it, as we've learned. Whoever is able to carry out one of those levels, then it becomes wajib upon him to enjoin that good or forbid that evil. Number three. التفاوت في الإيمان وأن منه القوي والضعيف والأضعف Number three. That there is variation in the levels of Iman. Among Iman is that which is strong, among Iman is that which is weak, and among Iman is that which is weaker. 
So those are the three points of benefit that Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad he summarizes from this hadith. Insha'Allah Ta'ala, next week we will look at the hadith about the hadith about brotherhood and the etiquettes of brotherhood and the virtue of, 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 of loving your brothers for the sake of Allah and the great crime of doing those things that can harm that brotherhood for the sake of Allah. So insha'Allah Ta'ala will cover that hadith al-azim next week. Wallahu Ta'ala a'lam wa sallillahu ma'ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.